Hello, everybody. The next episode of Shift M podcast, and we have a guest. Uh, the name of the guest is Henrik Martinsson from Sweden. I hope I pronounced the name correctly, because that's the weird sign on top of A, which I don't know how to pronounce. <laughs> uh, but I just give you the microphone, introduce yourself, Henrik, and then we'll jump right to the subjects, which I have many questions for you. I read your blog. I read the, the topics you suggested. I think we're going to have an interesting discussion today. So go ahead. Tell us about yourself. Oh, thank you. Uh, my name is Henrik Mortensen, and uh, I'm a process and organization and strategy consultant. I've been working with Agile and Lean and also Theory of Constraints for several years. I've written a couple of books. I blog a lot. And uh, well, that's about it. That sounds like a good introduction. <laughs> I'm checking your blog time to time. And, and, and you mentioned the one article which you posted just recently, right? Just probably a week ago about, um, about why, why uh, the HR is not allowed to hire pilots in, in the airline business, right? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I read the article, but that would be nice if you just go like quickly through the, the through it for our listeners and explain again why it's happening, and what are you suggesting uh, to solve the problems we have in other industries outside of air air business. Yeah. Okay. Um, first, a little bit of disclosure. The reason why I why I wrote the article is that uh, some years ago I found it mysteriously more difficult to find work and uh, I started to investigate HR and HR processes. The reason I started investigating HR processes is that a few years ago I mysteriously found it more difficult to, to find jobs. For yourself? For, for myself, yes. And uh, <clears throat> it got to the point where I decided to, to start looking into HR processes. Because I have good relationships with managers in various companies. And when I got into trouble, it was always the HR department that said no. So managers wanted me in, the HR department wanted to keep me out. Now, it's funny. Yeah, that, that was a little bit, a, a little bit funny. Uh, and when I started investigating, I found some things like, like for, exa for example, age discrimination, which is rampant in in uh, in the business. If you look at statistics, uh, HR departments and some managers um, don't want to hire anyone over the age of 43 in Sweden. Huh. You know the specific number, 43? Yeah, well, statistically speaking, the, the cutoff age is, is 43. A couple of years ago, it was 47, so it's going down. Uh -huh. uh, but at the time of 50, 95% of all managers and HR departments will uh, refuse to hire you based on your based on your age alone competence doesn't matter at all but they're not gonna they're not gonna say that right they're gonna refuse you for some other reason they're not gonna say that that's because of yeah. your age uh -huh. 
they, they, they give a lot of other reasons, and there are other reasons. In, in, that's where I started with, with, uh, with, with my article. I found a lot of age discrimination. But I also found other reasons, and there were those I focused on in the article. Um, the reason I interviewed uh, an age manager, uh, and he told me that, that uh, or I, I interviewed a person working at, at uh, an aircraft company, and he told me that at his company, HR was not allowed to work, uh, to do anything that had to do with hiring pilots. And I found that interesting, so I asked why, and it turns out that if HR is involved in hiring pilots, then the planes crash. But how, how else how else you can hire that pilots? How, how do they hire them if not through HR? Well, what they do is they have, they have a panel of active flying pilots that, that uh, evaluate the competence of, of applicants. Uh -huh. Procedures vary from company to company. I, later I found companies where, where HR are involved a bit, but they are then in, involved only in a supporting role. They don't make decisions. The decisions are made by active pilots. Uh -huh. Now, if you look at most companies, especially large companies, they often have a process that is exactly the opposite. Um, a department manager wants to hire someone, so he writes a specification, leaves it to HR. HR, if it's a large company, HR will outsource it to some recruitment company. And then you have a, a system with layers of filters. You have the outsourcing company, you have the HR department, and then finally the manager. And these can be quite compartmentalized. That's when you run into really serious trouble. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is that the HR department, they are they are measured on uh, on local. They have they, they have to make local optimizations, uh, and they are a cost center. So they don't want you if you may incur extra costs. And what does incur extra cost? Well, for example, if you're very competent, then you may be promoted within the company then HR has to recruit someone new and that causes an extra cost. And that means if you have more than the mi minimum specified skill, then HR doesn't want you. They will, they will filter you out. Mm -hmm. Now a serious problem with that is that the minimum specified skill, well, that's the the skill specification they get from the department that wants to hire someone. But that description is never complete. Mm -hmm. If you have an IT department, for example, let's say the manager involves uh, a developer in writing the spec, which is by no means certain, then you're likely to get a view of what's needed 
as as um, an average developer sees it. That mm. means you will miss out on a lot of things that that developer may not know. A top developer may know it, but the average developer won't. If a developer isn't developed at all, then it go then it can get even worse. And I've seen instances where where entire professions have been confused with each other. So, for example, I know companies that uh, they believe they are hiring business analysts, but if you look at the specifications for the people they hire, they are for requirements analysts, which is a, an entirely different uh, profession. So what happens when you hire business analysts and you believe they are requirements analysts? Uh, sorry, when you hire requirements analysts and you believe that they are business analysts, it means you don't get business analysis, mm -hmm. even though you you may believe that you get it. Mm -hmm. Well, what if we what if we just transfer these new candidates to the board, like you said, the board of pilots? then that board will make a better decision than the HR person? That's the point? Yeah. yeah. But they will also be looking at this you know, set of skills. So they will also kind of make a decision based on skills and they will compare the skills of the candidate with the skills they expect. So they will more or less make the same decision or no? Yeah, but the thing is, there are, there are two very important differences. One is that that the pilots do have the skills they are they are looking for mm -hmm. most of the time, and they are very highly trained. So they are because pilots. That's one one of the professions that really really trains people to to a high level. Mm -hmm. So they tend to make rather good decisions because of their training, and also because there is a whole panel, there is a whole team of them. If one uh, pilot on the panel may not have uh, a skill at the level to judge other people's skill, but, but chances are that some of the others will have it. And mm -hmm. in the same way, if you have, say, a, a team of developers, that decide who, who to hire or not to hire, then chances are that at least some of them will know about, say, this design skills, um, mm -hmm. uh, behavior-driven design, other types of skills that they may need. Mm -hmm. And even if they aren't using those skills, chances are they will at least have heard of them and know how to value them. And how will that solve the aging problem, the, the, aging, the discrimination by the age you mentioned before? Ah, well, uh, here's something, and this is a bit of conjecture from my side. The aging problem, I think, is it gets more serious because the people involved in hiring do not know what to look for. And when you do not know what to look for, then it tends to be superficial. Then you look for things like uh, age, hair color, <laughs> color of skin, clothes, things like that. 
I mean, some of the most skilled developers I have met in my life have things like their hair is colored blue, or or they walk they walk around in in uh, in uh, ugly clothes with toes <laughs> with two toes on them, and and they may have tattoos. Mm-hmm. They have real difficulties getting past an HR department which looks at very superficial things but they may be great team members but you know I I agree with that but you know there are some people and even people who I invited for my podcast before uh, were saying that uh, technical skills and professional skills now are less important than so-called soft skills so when you look at the person and you see that there are tattoos all over the body and the person looks weird or maybe too old or too young for the team, then that person, even though he's a good programmer or she's a good programmer, is not going to be a good fit for the team. So the code will be okay. The, the, the results that person is producing will be okay. But the team will kind of reject that person because of the, because of the, uh, the conflict, not the conflict, but uh, in, incompatibility of the soft skills of, of that person and the team. See? Yeah. But the thing is that a good developer will be, will produce, a, will be of a lot more value than a bad programmer. The difference is, in knowledge work, the difference can be very great. Um, if you look at Steve Jobs, for example, he said that he considered a, a really good programmer to be about 200 times more valuable than an average programmer. And I've done measurements in companies where I, I have measured what it costs to reduce the skill level mm-hmm. and the costs are great not just that things take longer to produce and that they are full of bugs so, so maintenance costs get go up it's that the solutions are completely different so you get things that doesn't fit with the rest of the organization Mm-hmm. So the cost can be incredibly high. Mm-hmm. But another question is, like, let's say we remove this HR people from the decision-making process uh, and, and ask all the programmers, not all of the programmers, but the board of programmers to make the decision of what, what is the right candidate for us or not, then it will put a lot of... Uh, extra workload on the shoulders of these programmers of the board because they will have to interview many people I think that's why the HR department HR departments exist in order to kind of protect the team from the from the uh, a huge stream of candidates where the majority of that candidates are just no good so don't don't you think it's going to be a problem if we just remove HR problem is that if HR follows their procedures the best candidates will be in the reject part. <laughs> yeah. You can, in, you, in, there are, because, of, of, because they work from incomplete specifications that they do not understand, they tend to aim too low. 
they don't aim for the best candidate, they aim for the one who fits the requirements the best. Which means Those an average, are, right? They are two entirely different things. Mm -hmm. And they don't aim for the candidate that fits, that fits the department they are hiring for. They are aiming for the candidate that will cause uh, the, the least cost for the HR department. Right. So they want people, for, for, for example, they are really, really afraid of people who are overqualified. Afraid? But what does, but what does overqualified mean? It means you're ambitious. It means you're interested in what you do. It means you're studying. It means that it means that a, a programmer that learns advanced design skills can suddenly be overqualified and don't get work. I've had colleagues that have had to move from Sweden, leave Sweden, because they have advanced skills. They're great to work with. I worked with them and they are absolutely fantastic to work with. But they are considered too advanced. Where did they go? Uh, one went to Spain. Spain, okay. So it was difficult for them to find job because they were overqualified. Yeah. Uh -huh, interesting. So you're saying that companies and HR departments, they're afraid to hire that people because the chances of, of them being unhappy on the job is higher. And that's why they may leave sooner, right? Yeah, that's, that's uh, what they say often. But the mm -hmm. thing is, that's not true. Uh -huh. there, are, there is research on the subject and people don't get people don't leave because they think they have too high skills what makes people leave is is bad managers mm -hmm. so what hr does in effect is that they protect bad managers and makes it difficult for good managers to find good hires <laughs> it's pretty and accurate it's not... <laughs> pretty accurate summary of what's going on <laughs> i like it Mm -hmm. Now, there's one thing I would like to stress here. I, one thing that surprised me when I started, when I started researching this, is how many HR people that are aware of the problem and are absolutely horrified by it. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I must say that when we have problems in in IT, we have process problems, organizational problems, cultural problems. Mm -hmm. We tend to be a lot less aware than they are. Mm -hmm. So I was very pleasantly surprised by how many HR people who understand that there is a problem and who would like to fix it. One of the problems is that the skills needed to fix the HR problems are among the first skills to get excluded. Hmm. What's or the solution? Example, how can you how can we fix that? I mean, it sounds it sounds right that this is exactly what's going on. But what's the what's the alternative? How can we solve that? Well, um, we have different organizational models that that are cropping up and. 
with some of those models you don't have the problem because you do not have layers like like that that you do hiring more directly that's a situation we had a couple of decades ago where managers were more directly involved in hiring and i think it worked better than back then i mean you had problems then too it wasn't perfect but you hadn't people who were forced to make bad decisions and so i think uh, if you have network organizations for example then each node in the network will do much of its own hiring so they have a a greater chance of of, uh, of doing good recruitment that doesn't solve the problem for traditional hierarchical organizations but you can do what the aircraft companies do you can have a panel that helps mm. uh, you can have more integration a more integrated process so instead of dividing it up into a, a compartmentalized silos that filter everything you have a, a, a team that works on hiring an integrated team where we have representatives from the department for uh, and from hr one easy way to to reduce the workload for those teams is to simply write better ads mm-hmm. for example if you want if you need highly skilled developers write the ads so that highly skilled developers like it mm-hmm. no don't focus on the tools focus on the design skills focus on the object oriented programming skills mm-hmm. focus on on things that those developers think are valuable but in most organizations like uh, where people work now and, and listening this podcast, uh, they will say, what can I do? I already have the HR manager in front of me and all I have is just people coming through that manager to me so I can only do the, the last step. I can only interview that people. So what can I do if I'm a manager? What's my, what, what should I do? Go to my boss and say, fire that HR department and let me go, let me talk to the market directly? I wouldn't recommend that. See? <laughs> so, yeah, that that would be that would make this, you know, it's not possible. So what's the what no, should we do? But 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 the thing is when I talk to HR people one by one, as meet them as humans, as people. <laughs> not as HR people, right? <laughs> not, not as HR people, just as humans. Just people, uh-huh. They want to do a good job too. Mm-hmm. And they are, I mean, I've heard HR people say that they hate hiring uh, developers because they don't know what development is. <laughs> yeah. And and um, and you have the same you have the same thing with any kind of knowledge work. If you're an HR person. You don't know you 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 
you can't decide which doctor is best or which nurse is best or which technician is best or even which accountant is best. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say even accountant because I'm, <laughs> there are lots of good accountants that yeah. <laughs> aren't like me. But, but the thing is that, that knowledge work is different from manual labor. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say manual labor, manual labor isn't, isn't all that easy. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like the HR, we don't need HR anywhere, right? In labor work, in knowledge work, in anywhere, right? But they do exist. I mean, there are so many HR companies and recruiters and consulting companies and departments everywhere. It's not possible to imagine right now a software company with like 10 people or more without an HR person there. They're everywhere. So, one thing, one thing you can do is... is Become an HR person, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I would love to work with with, with, uh, an HR department and see... If I mean working from the inside, you you can you can solve some of the problems that do exist, but you can also find new new opportunities. Mm-hmm. That is where where you really, if you want to figure out the future role of HR, then you need to work closely with with uh, with HR people. Mm-hmm. When when I look at, at a, a, a department that has hired the wrong people, I can trace it to HR and say that, yeah, okay, these processes don't work. But it's much more difficult to say that, okay, if we really want to make this work, what should an HR do? What should the people do? And even if we don't have an HR department, the people can still be useful. Doesn't mean you lay off the HR people, even if you get rid of the HR department. Mm-hmm. You restructure, you find something else that that is really useful and beneficial. Let mm-hmm. them do that. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I, I think companies miss. People are much more flexible and much more capable of learning new things than than the organizations give them credit for. So you can find the useful stuff and get rid of stuff like, I mean, you you have uh, a lot of the things you HR departments do now, like take Myers-Briggs testing, for example. Oh, what is it? Yeah, well, it's it's a kind of personality test. Mm -hmm. But... um, the problem is the, is the most popular personality test in the world among HR departments. Mm-hmm. Now, Dave Snowden, uh, you may not know who, who it is. Yeah, yeah, that guy I know. Uh, he, he, he said once that he had made a study of, of Myers-Briggs at IBM, and he found that it works worse than astrology for predicting what's a good hire. <laughs> See? <laughs> so, 
So maybe, maybe this HR is just the whole big scam in the world. So people are just making money, getting this, you know, budgets from companies, pretending to finding the right candidates. But in the end, what happens is exactly what you suggested in your blog post in the end. Just, you know, put all the candidates' names in the hat and then toss the hat and pick the, the one and that, that's it. That's going to be your decision, right? Yeah, I think actually the hat was half serious because I think that would work better than the HR processes we have now. But it doesn't mean that we can't make create good processes and a good organizational structure. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that HR people can't be involved and that aren't needed. So what what are the things, let's discuss that things which we would recommend to the HR department which wants to work, you know, better than they do now. What would you recommend them to do? As far as I understand what you said already, probably they need to work closely, uh, more close with the the department they are hiring for. That's what I understood, right? Yes. Uh They They need to work more closely with the department they are hiring for. And not just with the manager of that department, with people who have the expertise. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to hire a developer, find the best developers and talk to them. Now, if you need to hire really experienced people, then one thing you can do is to reach outside the company find the best experts in the field mm-hmm. and let them help you. Even if you aren't hiring them, let them help you hire, find good hires. You can't do that with, with uh, every hire, of course, because that, that would be too expensive. Mm-hmm. But you can do it to find key people that will shape the culture, a culture of excellence in the rest of the company. Mm-hmm. If you have a thousand people in 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 the in, in the company, and you hire ten people that way, it can make a difference. Mm-hmm. And what do you think? One more question, which is interesting. What do you think? Should we blame the HR department for uh, for the people we fire? Is it their fault or it's just our fault? If somebody gets in and then we don't like that person, and in a few months we just now fire that person because traditionally people blame the HR department they, and even if you specific, specifically if you hire a company who is supposed to find you a programmer for example they find you somebody you get that person on board you start working with that person and then you fire and then that company has to find you somebody else for no money so that's usually how it works on the HR market so we are actually blaming them so what do you think about that should we blame them or not oh, we shouldn't we shouldn't it's not their fault. Uh-huh. And I, I mean, one thing I found that for the HR department and for the HR people, there is really no upside to hiring good people. Uh-huh. They will be if they make a bad hire, they can get blamed, right? Uh-huh. But if they make a good hire, they can get increased cost, and then they can get blamed for that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. So, so it's not easy to work in HR. Ironically, yeah, it's really, it's a really weird situation. 
But you know, you're not alone who is saying that. I wrote a blog post on my blog about like a year and a half ago when I explained a very similar situation would happen to me. So I was, you know, I was trying, I was uh, trying to get a job in a big company, and I also uh, was uh, met by the HR people there, and they and they they gave me the very traditional standard interview, which I didn't pass because the interview, because the questions they were asking, uh, they were not aligned with my, with my skills. So I know something, but they were asking me about something else. And because of this mismatch, I was obviously giving really wrong answers or you know, incompetent answers. And that's why they decided that I'm not a good developer according to their, like you said, the, the, the requirements, set of requirements. And it happened not to me only. There are many people in the industry now saying the same, like, like these HR processes, and especially in big companies like Google, Facebook, Amazon, these IT huge you know, monopolies, then they just, they just build a many, many, many steps HR uh, procedure and only a very average, traditional, specifically trained programmer can get through. So if you have some exceptional skills, if you have some non-standard way of thinking, then you're most probably going to fall out on the second, third step, something like that. That's what people are saying now. I mean, this is, a, this is caused by how the system is set up. And I talked just a couple of weeks ago, uh, I listened to a presentation by uh, Lars O. Grönstedt, who is a former CEO of Handelsbanken, one of the largest banks here. Mm -hmm. And uh, we talked a bit afterwards, and uh, we talked about systems thinking. And he, he said that, yeah, management is really on the lookout for systems thinking because they know they are very helpful. There is a widespread misconception that systems thinkers have their heads in the clouds and aren't very useful. But if it comes, but you want them in the organization for practical purposes. Just like, the, say, the US Marine Corps do. They have a lot of systems thinkers. That is part of the... Uh, what does it mean? Can you explain systems thinking? Yeah. A, a systems thinker is trained in looking at complicated systems and, and understanding how all the different pieces work together. So we are used to doing analysis where we split things up in smaller and smaller parts. But that doesn't tell us how the whole system works. Consider a book, for example. If you analyze, and I know I'm taking this to a rid ridiculous degree now, but it, it's just to show the principle. If you analyze the book, you divide it into smaller and smaller parts. So sooner or later, you'll get down to sentences, and then to words, and then to individual letters. But the smaller parts you have, the less you understand about, about what the book is about. Now, what a systems thinker does is the opposite. The systems thinker looks at the book as a whole. So the systems th thinker can tell what the book is about, but the systems thinker would also put the book in context. What's the genre? Genre. What are related things related to the book? 
Another classic example is cars. If you look at a car and you analyze it, you can never figure out why the steering wheel is on the left side. To do that, you need to turn the other way and understand that, okay, we, we, we drive on the right side and that's why the steering wheel is on the left side. So analysis can't do it. You need to take a step outside. And you were saying that many managers are not, are not systems think thinkers. Most are not. Uh, I think there are, uh, now this, this is, I'm, I'm not really certain about this, but, but you often, in, in, in this context, when you discuss things like this, you often have that about one to three percent of all people are natural systems thinkers. Mm -hmm. um, and with training, I, I think you can get up to 30%. Uh, an acquaintance of mine who, who does training in systems thinkers once said that, that uh, uh, about 30% of all people he trains can be taught. Isn't it, isn't it the same as just being smart versus being stupid? It sounds like if the person is smart, then he will think on a broader perspective. If the person is less smart, then uh, that person will think about less generic things and more specific things, no? Or it's a, something else? To, to some extent, but, but you can be highly intelligent and still have tunnel vision. Really? I mean, if, 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 if you are... Uh, <clears throat> focused on, on building better computer systems and you accidentally invent Skynet, for example. Uh -huh. And then we live in a Terminator movie. <laughs> I mean... Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, in order, to invent, in order to invent something like that, you just need to be very intelligent. Uh, but you're calling this uh, system thinking. So I, I'm just asking, maybe it's the same thing, but a different name or not? Systems thinking is really a, a scientific discipline. Uh -huh. if, if you uh, if you go to the core of it, uh -huh. so systems thinkers work with complex systems, large ecological systems. How do cities work? How do companies work? How do different parts of, of a company of an organization interact? For example, when you go agile. Uh, then you can you can faster get better better throughput, right? Say again, you just broke up a little uh, bit. Yeah. Uh, okay. For, for example, if you go agile, yes, uh, and, and successfully, you will have development development teams that can produce more because they have better flow, better throughput, right? Okay. And they will presumably. Uh, produce fewer fewer defects, so you will have less rework, will, which also contributes to increased productivity. Mm -hmm. And this is all good, right? Yeah. Now, when I started working with Agile, we did all that, and we did it very successfully, but we kind of got into trouble anyway, because when we did all that, then work speeded up, so we could complete projects much faster than before 
and we were paid by the hour. Mm -hmm. So profitability went down from the consulting company I worked I worked at. It wasn't necessarily a good idea. Mm -hmm. Because so, the rest of the system wasn't adapted to it. We hadn't adapted the contracts. Mm -hmm. And we hadn't changed the expectations of, of the customers. Mm -hmm. So back to the hiring process. So let's get if, you, if we get back to the hiring process, if we have more of these uh, systems thinkers uh, in, in management positions, then this HR problem will be solved also somehow, right? Um, there's a greater chance of solving it. Now, one thing here, when I'm saying systems thinker, there's also called something called complexity thinking. And when I'm saying systems thinker, I include complexity thinking. So I use a very, very broad definition. But, but yes, I think it could improve situations. It, it would improve not only HR, it would, it would improve IT, it would improve, uh, it would improve the financial uh, part of the company. Mm -hmm. It would improve management, you would have better strategies. It could improve just about everything that is a bit complicated. And the more complicated stuff you do, the more useful it is. Mm -hmm. Can you recommend something to read about that for our listeners and for myself? Like how to become this uh, complexity thinker and systems thinker? Well, you can send it later to me, the link, but I, I'm yeah, just asking I, to you. I can, I, can, I can send you a reading list uh -huh. later, or maybe maybe just one or two, su two suggestions. So that will be helpful. Yeah. Because there, there, are, there are a couple of good books to get started with. Because uh -huh. it sounds like uh, you're saying it's possible to develop that skill, even though, like you said, just a few percent of people have that skill uh, originally in, in, from the beginning. Yeah, I, for example, I'm not certain I'm a natural systems thinker. I have trained. Uh -huh. I, got inter I got interested because we, we, originally because we screwed up. <laughs> so we had to find ways to fix it. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you think it's possible, do you think it's possible to also solve the HR problem on the market by um, using more uh, sort of objective uh, tools to understand who is good, who is who is a good programmer, who is not as a good not not as good programmer. Uh, I'm talking about some kind of certifications or some kind of uh, testing courses, something which we can get, so, something which will test me as a programmer outside of the company which is going to hire me. So in other words, when, I'm, when I come into the interview and I start talking to the HR or not HR, I have some set of uh, papers with me, some set of maybe numbers with me, which I proved somewhere, and I'm just showing that, and the company will, be, will have some, you know, will have, will, will, it will be easier for them to make a decision because I have some objective uh, assets with me. Certifications are notoriously undependable. Uh -huh. You can't test well without being a, a good developer. 
and you can and you can be a very good developer without testing well. Mm-hmm. For example, and if you also testing is also a bit problematic because well you can you know in a test situation you do something rather small so you can measure which programmer does it fastest and which programmer does it with the fewest bugs but what if you have a more complicated situation and the and and you have one developer who is very fast mm-hmm. very accurate the code passes all tests all the time but the entire approach is wrong. That's something that is very, very expensive for companies and and, uh, and uh, a developer, even a very slow developer that sees that, okay, the entire approach is wrong. Mm-hmm. We need that and it can be incredibly very, Variable, and that is very difficult to test for. But how will you um, how will you find that skill in the person during the interview as well? First, I don't have a, a perfect solution. Okay. But but you can. There are things you can you can do. You can look at previous work. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can ask the developers how they have handled difficult situations in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, to some extent, you can do testing, um, but the, but these pictures will always be a bit incomplete. Mm-hmm. So if you say sit down and pair program with a developer, that will tell you. A, may tell you a lot more but it will also be more time consuming so you may need to to pair the list of, of uh, applicants down before you do something like that mm-hmm. I don't have a perfect solution yeah me so neither I think that what we are looking for isn't the perfect solution it will, we look for solutions there that are a little less bad than the ones we have now this is Fixing the problems will be, it will be a long process in itself, and it will be an iterative process where we don't know what the end result will look like. We just know the, the general dis- direction. We, we want something that works better for both the organizations and for the people in it. Mm-hmm. And that takes it into the realm of complexity and complexity thinking. Really, you work. You don't have a goal. You work with what you have and try to improve it, and then you can see a little bit further. So then you can work with that and improve that. Mm-hmm. And the solutions may look very, very diff- different. Different organizations. Mm-hmm. But we still need the we still need the HR departments. We just agreed that the manager has to work closely with the HR department, and we also now understand that uh, these HR people have to you know have to look for people who have 
the ability to think on a different level, like for system thinkers and complexity thinkers, not just somebody who are, uh, you know, who fit into the requirements uh, agenda, right? Yeah, I mean, if I, if I was a department manager and I wanted to develop the capability to hire the best people possible long term, then I would try to make friends with the HR department manager. Uh -huh. uh, I would see if it's possible to come to a shared understanding of the problems and if there is interest in developing solutions that work for that particular organization and that particular relationship. It, depending on the people involved, it may be possible or not. But the thing is, if you never try, then it won't happen. Yeah. If you try, then there is at least a chance. And one thing I got from the research I did was that there are a lot of HR people that really want to change the current situation. Mm -hmm. It's just that when they sit at their desk, and they have to make hiring decisions, then they go with the system, they go with the process. Uh -huh. If they try to back the process, then their jobs are in danger. Yeah. And what would you recommend to do for, for developers who are trying to find a job, like you were trying to do, and they uh, face the problem with the HR, they just, they just go through traditional standard interviews and they've been re they're being rejected. Uh, what should they do? What's the solution? One thing is they can do is they, they should try to focus on find and focus on companies where you have more direct contact with managers. Mm -hmm. So basically, try to bypass the HR people somehow. Well, when you either. By, by, if they are organized like a series of filters, yeah. then the, the problem is that the managers don't make the hiring decisions. Uh -huh. um, do we have time for us to for a short story? Yeah, sure. Okay. I was, I was applying for, for, uh, for a job at a company. Uh -huh. So, um, I wrote a letter to the CEO and uh, he was interested so he told the secretary that basically I got this from the secretary later so 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 he told the secretary basically that this guy is either a good an extremely good hire or completely crazy so <laughs> please find out which so she did a bit of research went back to the, uh -huh. to the CEO and said that, well, he's not completely crazy, so... <laughs> Just a bit. A okay. And so he did. But the way the company was structured, what he had to do then was to send an email to the HR department uh, and let them handle it. Okay. So, uh, 
couple of days. I, I contacted the secretary, and then what, that was when I got this story. Uh, there on the end of the story. So I then tried to contact the HR department. It took me about three weeks before I got anyone there to answer the phone. Wow. And when I did, they didn't know who I was or who I was talking about, but they said, okay, yeah, well, we got an, an email from our CEO, but we haven't read it yet. <laughs> okay. After three weeks. Mm -hmm. Just please fill the form no. on the website. <laughs> no, <laughs> they promised to read it. Okay. And I got, I got back to them a week later. And uh, they said that, no, we're not interested. Okay. Okay. May I ask why? And yeah, they said, yeah, it says here in 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 uh, in the letter you sent that you are a systems thinker. Okay. And we don't know what that is. <laughs> we don't hire people with whose skills we don't know. So, and so, and we and we've asked everyone at the office. No one knows what a systems thinker is. So we're so. We're, we're not going to hire you and we are very busy with hiring managers right now so we can't deal with this nice <laughs> now okay now oh. here's the interesting thing if you want hire managers you probably want to hire skilled managers now in there are a number of training and educational systems for managers in every serious system systems thinking plays a part it's part of, of the Deming system from 90, 1980 which included systems thinking variation psychology and something called epistemology basically bullshit detection finding out being able to discern what what, uh, what is true or not. Basic scientific research principles. Uh -huh. Those four skills were part of the basic system. If you look at military training, you get systems, officers training, you have, you've got systems thinking there too. And uh -huh. the reason for that is that managers have to manage very complicated and complex things. They need that training. Now, if, if HR filters applicants out because they have the training that is required to do the job they are hiring for. Yeah, it's a really interesting story. It teaches us the lesson. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of it kind of explain it kind of um, uh, demonstrates how. Uh, this big problem we were discussing for the last hour actually works in action. So people are actually filtering out something which they don't understand, even though these people don't really know what the management is and, and what skills it consists of, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the skills that the managers are looking for, and especially high-level managers are looking for in the people below them, are often the skills that the HR department filters out. Mm -hmm. 
So, and it gets more complicated, of course, when an organization needs skills it doesn't know it needs. So it can't name them. Yeah. That's fairly common. Yeah, it all sounds a little bit sad to be to be honest so that's the world we have to live in now and that's we need we need to find jobs we need to get through these hr departments we need money you know so we have to somehow deal with all this uh, madness so thanks for thanks for explaining that again because i guess most of our listeners know about that i just hope that there are some hr people listening to us right now and they will, I think we, we, we need to address our message to them most of all, because these are the people who can change the situation. Yeah. I, the think, is, I, I think this is something we need to remember, that many of the HR people actually are on our side in this. Mm-hmm. They don't want a crappy system any more than we do. Mm-hmm. So it's even difficult to say who is guilty, right? It's difficult to say who is the who's evil, who's guilty. Like HR people want to change the system, developers want to change the system, managers probably want to change the system. So who doesn't? Yeah, there, 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 there are no bad people in this. It's a bad system. Mm-hmm. So we have good people in a bad system. Yeah, and and that's very very important to remember because if we are going to solve this. We need to work together to do it. And we can't do that if we believe that the other side is evil. Mm-hmm. Then collaboration isn't possible. From uh, So we need to remember that everyone is trying to do their best. It's just that they can't because of how the system is structured. Mm-hmm. Okay, sounds, sounds like a good summary of what's going on. I just thank you very much for coming to the podcast and I hope to see you again sometime when the system will be a little bit better. We'll talk again, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, and uh, I think this was fun and I'd be happy to do it again. Okay, sounds good. Thank you, Henrik. Thanks for being with us. Have a good professional life. Bye-bye. Bye.